you know, we wanted to make a public statement that that um, the science supports the use of fire on these landscapes and, and that, you know, the only way that we reduce the chance that we see significant societal impact in the future going forward is by restoring fire to these landscapes. And the faster we can do that, the better off we're going to be because we're basically racing the clock because of climate change. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 18 of Life with Fire podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Montai. Today, we're talking to Matt Hurtow, who is a forest ecologist and a professor at the University of New Mexico. He is specifically interested in uh, the influence of climate and disturbance on forest productivity, which pretty necessarily means that he works quite a bit in fire ecology as well as forest ecology more generally. For the purposes of today's podcast, uh, Matt is also one of 41 scientists who signed a letter to Forest Service Chief Randy Moore a couple weeks ago that got a fair bit of traction on Twitter especially and amongst fire ecologists and the fire community discussing their reservations of the Forest Service directive to put all fires out as soon as possible, which has been kind of simply referred to as a return to the 10 a.m. rule, which we all hopefully know by now by listening to this podcast was a not entirely successful um, management policy or suppression policy. It's widely accepted by many, if not most, if not all fire ecologists that the 10 a.m. policy uh, really put us back in terms of forest management and um, contributed greatly to the conditions of our forests currently. And a return to this policy has been pretty vehemently chastised I guess, for lack of a better word, by the fire community in the last few weeks. We'll discuss this in pretty great depth here in this episode, but a a huge reason for the return to this policy was political influence. And a lot of folks, like I said, in the fire community have been outspoken about the very clear problems in this new Forest Service directive. So Matt, is the lead author on this paper, along with uh, Susan Pritchard, who we spoke to in episode six, as well as a number of other renowned experts in the fire community and in the fire ecology community especially. So without further ado, let's hear from Matt. Uh, He gave us a really good introduction to the directive itself, as well as the opinions of the scientists who were a part of authoring the paper while also providing a little bit of nuance to the conversation and uh, talking about how these sort of broad policy changes aren't entirely effective in addressing these land management and forest management issues in the nuanced and largely regional or even local way that they need to be addressed. So if you've heard this conversation happening, you know, maybe on social media or you've seen some articles about it, this is a good little introduction, a little 101 about uh, the policy change and response to it from the scientific community. Thank you, as always, for listening, and let's hear from Matt. Um, So I'm a professor uh, in the biology department at the University of New Mexico. I'm a forest and fire ecologist. And so in my research group, we study how changing climate and wildfire uh, will influence kind of where we find different tree species across large landscapes, uh, the productivity. So trying to understand how forests help regulate the climate and then uh, management activities that can influence the outcomes that we expect to see uh, as a result of climate-driven changes. 
Awesome. And the reason I have you here today is to just kind of talk about the, the letter that you and a number of other scientists put out a couple of weeks ago um, regarding what can, I guess, most simply be described as a return to the 10 a.m. policy. I mean, kind of. Is that kind of what, what you're seeing this as? Yeah, I was a little, uh, I think I, I would say all, all of us who uh, signed that letter were a little disappointed to see um, what I would characterize as a knee-jerk response to, a, you know, a political, uh, to, um, to political pressure from a couple of politicians who, you know, are worried about appearances, I think, um, you know, and, and uh, I would like to see I would like to see the Forest Service as an as an an organization um, help educate our policymakers about the importance of, of fire in our landscapes. Yeah, can you explain the letter a little bit? Kind of what you guys went into and and what kind of inspired um, inspired that movement? Not not really movement, I guess, so much as just you know kind of collaborating on on talking about this in a in a more nuanced way. Sure. Yeah. So the the the. The chief of the Forest Service, Randy Moore, um, sent out, uh, you know, basically an order, I guess, to the Forest Service uh, saying that, you know, for the remainder of this fire season, there was to be no more managing of natural ignitions um, and beyond full suppression and that um, any sort of prescribed burning that was to occur was uh, needed or it was going to be constrained such that um, you know in the region preparedness level two or lower had to be the case and then um, and then also uh, any sort of prescribed burning had to get the approval of the regional forester and so i think um, you know those things uh, i think there's a couple of problems there and and one of them is that um, it's treating the entire, you know, all forest lands across the United States as, as one entity. And, you know, we've got a big geography here and, uh, the conditions in one area, um, and fire, fire conditions and, and fire hazard in one area are not necessarily, uh, going to be the same in another area. And so I think that, you know, the thing that really, uh, frustrated me about this order is that, um, you know, while I, fully re recognize and so does everybody else who signed the letter that you know we're we're resource limited right now from a suppression perspective uh, it's been a challenging fire season uh, and the like but at the same time that you know california uh, oregon washington up into montana are having you know a, a, a very active fire season you know here in the southwest uh, we've had a really wet monsoon season which means we're going to have a fantastic burn window this fall um, and it's going to be an opportunity to get a lot of prescribed burning done. And, you know, the, the thing that keeps us from having these kind of big, explosive, impactful fires is the restoration of the right kind of fire to the landscape. And so um, given the magnitude of the problem, so the number of acres uh, where we've got, you know, basically fuel loads out of sorts because of, uh, you know, decades of fire suppression, uh, a really important tool uh, beyond prescribed burning is the ability to manage uh, natural ignitions uh, for resource benefit. And you know, to say blanket uh, blanket statement, we're not going to we're going full suppression on everything, kind of ignores the the fact that geography is really important and conditions aren't the same everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. 
Can you explain kind of, I know in the, in the letter you suggested, you know, viewing challenges more holistically, and I'm sure that kind of ends up reflecting in the solutions that you guys are suggesting. Can you talk a little bit about what you would, would have preferred to have seen as a policy? For sure. So I, I think that, um, you know, my preference is that we see more local decision-making um, so, you know, the, the folks who manage fire on our public lands are, are, are professionals, right? It's not like, um, you know, you pull any person off the street and, and put them in charge of a fire program. And so there's, you know, lots of experience there. And, and these individuals are fully capable of making decisions in the context of resource availability, uh, risk, all these other things. And so, why I, it doesn't make sense to me that we would pull the decision making back to the Washington office level of the Forest Service uh, when you know you've got resource managers, uh, local resource managers who are fully capable of making these decisions and and recognize um, that the decisions they make locally have implications for other uh, parts of the country. And so you know it, it's, I just, I don't see the value in kind of this blanket policy. Yeah, what were the sort of political pressure? Like, can you explain the political pressures a little bit just for folks who maybe aren't as, as um, you know, don't understand or haven't heard about this conversation? Sure, there was a, a fire that, uh, or an ignition that started a fire in the wilderness in California, uh, a wilderness area in California. And, um, you know, I, th I think that, I mean, this is another thing is I think we need a full on like, after action review evaluation of, of what happened, because I don't know that it's entirely clear. But um, anyway, there was a wilderness ignition. Um, the and and it was, you know, folks were monitoring it. And I think there's because we're in um, preparedness level five. So there's a real shortage of resources, and they don't have, uh, you know, necessarily the resources to go deal with everything that pops off if it's not problematic, especially when, you know, you have fire crews trying to protect communities from burning down. And so anyway, uh, you know, fast forward a few days, uh, a weather event occurred, some winds kicked up and, and it, it caused what was, you know, kind of viewed as a, not a big risk to, our, you know, blossom into a, a wildfire that was pretty impactful. And, um, you know, and that caused um, particularly Representative McClintock from California and uh, Governor Newsom to you know, uh, contact the chief of the Forest Service and say that uh, this was not the time or the place uh, for any sort of uh, managed wildfire. And I think that it's important that we have a full evaluation of, of the decision making that occurred uh, in that particular incident, because I'm just guessing here, but I'm guessing that um, it wasn't being managed for resource benefit. It was, uh, you know, it was a, a resource limitation is the reason that it was a, decided we were going to let that, you know, basically looking at the risk of the situation, the resources that are available and saying, hey, we're going to let that skunk around for a while in the high country and because uh, it's not posing an immediate threat. And you kind of already answered this one, but I'm just curious what kind of impacts you expect this policy change to have or if, if, if anything. So, you know, I, I'm thinking about it. Uh, so I live in the Southwest. I live in New Mexico, um, you know, and, and I think knowing that this is going to be a good window for burning this fall, it's adding another layer um, that, you know, basically fire managers have to get through another layer of bureaucracy before they can, 
decide, you know, if and when to light. And, and so we lost, uh, we lost ground last year because of COVID and there was, you know, pretty much all prescribed fire was shut down um, or, you know, much of it was. And so, you know, if you're adding another layer of bureaucracy for folks to get through, it's going to slow things down again this year when, when we have conditions that are, that are kind of ripe for um, doing a lot of good burning this fall. And what about like the managed wildfire element of it? Um, like, what is that? What is the benefit of managed wildfire and, and why is this policy going to affect that? Yeah, that's so, I mean, if it, if it just is for this year, then it's probably uh, a negligible impact. Uh, but if it continues, right, it's going to be a really big deal. Um, and the impact there is that, you know, the, um, it, it, of the options we have available to restore fire to landscapes, managing natural ignitions is the least expensive on a per acre basis, right? And there's been a lot of, you know, uh, quote unquote, good work done by natural ignitions uh, burning under the right weather and fuel conditions. And we've got places like the Gila National Forest and Yosemite National Park that have, you know, four or five decade um, programs of managing natural ignitions. And, and you get out in, in the high country in Yosemite and out in the wilderness areas in the Gila and um, and, and you get to see what a fire maintained forest looks like, right? And, and like this year, there was an ignition down on the Gila uh, in, I can't remember if it was late May or early June, but it started the Johnson fire, uh, which is mostly in the wilderness area, areas that had burned three, four, five times already. Um, and they, you know, they monitored uh, what that fire was doing. It ended up burning uh, just shy of 90,000 acres. And most of the fire effects were absolutely what they should be um, for that particular kind of forest. Uh, and then the cost, uh, the per acre cost of just kind of monitoring conditions is, is substantially lower than, you know, the kind of per acre cost of uh, full on suppression that we have to do on these big wildfires that threaten communities. And so, you know, the, the value is, is that we get more of the right kind of fire on the landscape. And we also don't allocate suppression resources uh, to ignitions that are that we should let burn because they're they're burning in the right conditions, and so we have those resources available for other things. Did I answer your question there? Yeah, that was perfect. Okay. That's great. I think that was a good explanation of what of what managed fire what is as well. Um, and kind of my last question, pretty quick and easy, is if you've had any response from Randy. Um, if you've had any, any clear impact or influence, uh, has anything come of this? No, we've, we've not gotten a response. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure that we'll necessarily get a response. Uh, you know, I, I, I would imagine that responding to a group of 41 scientists is, is probably fairly low on the, the chief's, uh, uh, list of things to do, especially given, you know, the, the Dixie and Caldor and these other fires that are popping up that are, are being super impactful. And, and um, you know, I think the, the big thing is, is one of the, one of the main things that we wanted to communicate in that, in that letter is that um, the science supports the decision to, to restore fire to these landscapes and that, um, and, and reinforce the fact that the chief, he knows that, right. I mean, he was the regional forester and for region five and covered California for, you know, 10, 12, 14 years, something like that. 
And um, so he, he knows the importance of fires in these ecosystems. And it was just, you know, we wanted to make a public statement that that um, the science supports the use of fire on these landscapes and, and that, you know, the only way that we reduce the chance that we see significant societal impact in the future going forward is by restoring fire to these landscapes. And the faster we can do that, the better off we're going to be because we're basically racing the clock because of climate change. I think the science is clear. I don't think you're going to find anybody in the scientific community who disagrees uh, with what we said in that letter about the importance of fire in these ecosystems. And, um, and that, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to help make our forests resilient uh, to climate change, then we're going to have to restore that natural disturbance process. All right, that's what we've got for you today. Nice and short and sweet episode that maybe I'll start doing more of actually, just keeping them under 20 minutes, 30 minutes. That was certainly helped by Matt's ability to articulate all of these ideas uh, very succinctly and quickly. So thanks to Matt for coming on the show and explaining this conversation a little uh, with a little more detail than maybe can be found on social media. You know, Facebook comment sections are never the pinnacle of nuanced conversation. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or if you learned anything, please, please uh, feel free to share with somebody who th you think might be interested. Um, you can always subscribe. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you're really digging what we're doing, then you can support us on Patreon. I will link to the Patreon in this episode's show notes. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>